Tom, how's your brain? Oh, so good. Is it so good? So oh. good. I was just I was I was walking down the street the other day and someone was like, "Whoa, check out that guy's brain." And I was like, "I know, right? <laughs> it's mine. Yeah. It's that good. It's a good brain. You can feel it. Sometimes you can feel it. It it's just like exudes oh. a, a a brain magnetism yeah. just comes out. But it turns out, Tom, if if your brain is not magnetic enough, I have a solution for you today. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> not magnetic enough, meaning like not charming enough. Yeah. You, well, it turns out you can take it any way you want. Oh. I have a very specific meaning in mind, and that is: How would you like to inject magnets, magnetic pulses, into your brain? I would hate that. Why are you so excited? Is that a good thing for you? I don't know. I don't know. But here's the thing: I got a text from a, from a dear friend <laughs> who listens to the show and says, "Hey, you know what you should do." You should talk about TMS. Now, that was how he left it. He did not tell me anything more about it. So I had to look it up. And it turns out TMS is kind of awesome and futury and space agey. I thought that's what we call shock therapy. I thought that was the nice. What's that? Oh, no. Are you telling me that I'm all excited about Cuckoo's Nest? Maybe I'm thinking of ECT. OK, go ahead. Go ahead. Forget I said that. Here's the deal transcranial magnetic stimulation. Oh, this is not one. Okay. I like this. I like this. Let's do this. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. If you are struggling with depression or emotional regulation issues, mood issues that you are unable to treat with medication, this is a strategy to help handle that. They put these little sensors, these little electromagnetic clips right on your uh, right on your noggin and then they start pulsing the magnetic waves into your brain now i am learning all about this not at joe's tms shop no sir i'm learning about this at the mayo clinic uh, so it is my first question was going to be this sounds fake <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like something you'd get on yeah. goop from Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stone and it fits comfortably in your mouth. <laughs> okay. No, so it's none of real. that is true. Okay. No, as it turns out, it's a real thing. And it turns it, they the way they back it up is, that, you know, their their statement is that depression is treatable and that for some people, uh, standard treatments, the commonly accepted treatments don't work. And so they're tr they are trying this more and more uh, used when these treatments uh, like medications and talk therapy uh, have no impact. And uh, the uh, the risks are very low. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, again, non-invasive. They don't cut into you. They don't do anything like that. They, the side effects are headache and, you know, <laughs> I don't know, depending on how you feel about this. Hmm. Headache and lightheadedness comes. Eh. Uh, you might get a little scalp discomfort. Okay, get some sure. lotion. This is one that gives me a little bit of trouble. Tingling, spasms, or twitching of facial, facial muscles. Oh, no. Yeah. I, you know, uh. I, I, I don't know. It could be a character thing. You could work with it. You know, maybe put a little hat on, maybe start wearing a monocle. Right. And I, I think you can hide a lot with the monocle. Of course. Because the first thing a monocle says is, I'm blending in. <laughs> uncommon side effects, uh, very rare. These serious uncommon side effects, they include things like seizures or uh. mania, particularly in people with bipolar disorder. Always struggled with mania as a word. It sounds so positive, yet everybody I know who has experience with it, they don't, they yeah. don't really like it all that much. Uh, they also <laughs> also say hearing loss uh, if there is inadequate ear protection during treatment. 
Why? I have. I don't. I don't know about that. Huh. I don't know about the hearing part. It seems like uh, it, it, this didn't seem like it was going to be a loud thing, but maybe it's a loud thing, and you need to wear some sort of sure uh, ear protection. Anyway, uh, it seems like a very easy thing to do. And if you're struggling with uh, all of uh, those uh, uh, challenges I talked about earlier, you should probably check out RTMS because my buddy who texted me and said you should check out TMS is using it. And uh, that's why he decided to let me know. Seems like an interesting thing. It does, but you kind of spend most of the time listing all the horrible things it can do. <laughs> what are, what do you understand about what it can do? How is it able to attack these, what I thought would just be emotional things? Boy, this is a problem with medical uh, journal articles, isn't yeah. it? They really lean in on the dark. Right. The way I understand it, it allows you to get back into control of your emotions, of emotional regulation, so that you have more power over your uh, over your experience hmm. with generalized anxiety disorder and depression. It can lift you out of uh, of that dark, dark blue phase. Huh. Um, and, uh, you know, the way I'm reading it, at least these journal articles from 2015, 16 uh, that I'm kind of digging into, particularly related to generalized anxiety disorder. And they actually say over and over, it's GAD. Uh, and I don't like oh, that. Oh, no. I really don't care for that's it. That's what we suffer from is GAD? <laughs> yeah. You know, that gives me yeah. anxiety. <laughs> I know. That acronym sucks. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yes, yeah, so GAD uh, can be impacted. You can, those symptoms uh, can be alleviated. The symptoms that come with GAD can be alleviated uh, by a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of magnet juice. Wow. I What's love... even better is there's another one. There's another kind of uh, of this magnetic uh, a TMS. It's called DTMS, which is deep, Ooh. deep transcranial magnetic stimulation. That's and that starts. Yep. Yeah, that's what you want to go. You want to go for the good stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that goes it just goes much deeper. Like, I don't know. You feel it. Not, I don't know where you would feel it in your soul. They touch your soul with magnets. Yeah. It's amazing. Again, goop.com. <laughs> When you're reading these medical journals and it's listing all the bad things that can happen on the side, are there pictures of like old people walking on a beach or like taking a bath near a cliff like that happens in all the commercials that I see? They're like, you'll have spasms and mania. And someone's just sort of skipping through a cornfield like you do. Uh, no, this has a cross section of a brain. Uh, oh. But it, with uh, with what looks like, uh, you know, sound waves being pushed through it. But it's a sexy, sexy brain, I guess. Okay, sure. It's a brain that, you know, is really doing well. <laughs> oh, my, my. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us. We want to hear the story of your anxiety so we can share it with everyone behind your back. Just kidding. You'll be involved. You will send your anxiety to, hmm, something stinky at whatsthatsmell.net. Again, unfortunately, something stinky at what's that smell dot net. And with that, Pete, with your permission, I will go first this week. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs>
It is late October, and that means two things. Uh, what? What? Uh, p- pumpkin helmets. No. Number one, tons of basic girls wearing Uggs and drinking pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> so you were close. And number two, my favorite holiday, Halloween, is here oh. or near. Halloween. Are you in costume right now? <laughs> I'm always in costume, Pete. <laughs> I imagine that when I think about you starting October 1st, mm, yeah. it's time to get to get out the costumes. Exactly. And for the rest of the year, my costume is I pretend to be someone who doesn't always want to scream. <laughs> now, as such, in honor of Halloween week, I'm going to tell you a harrowing tale. And in this story, I would like to introduce you to a bunch of people with crazy names, because back in ancient times, shame hadn't been invented yet. We start with Gallus Secundus, better known to his friends as Pliny the Younger. You know Pliny. Born in 61 AD, he was a lawyer and author in ancient Rome. And sometime around 100 AD, he wrote a letter to Lucius Lucinius Sura, a Roman senator. In the letter, Pliny recounts a story he heard from Curtius Rufus, a Roman historian. (laughs) We're almost done with names. I'd like to read you a portion of it translated from Latin. If you don't mind, please cue some spooky atmospheric music. There was in Athens a large and roomy house, which had such a bad reputation that no one lived there. Former inhabitants had said that in the dead of night there was a noise, sounding like the rattling of chains, distant at first, but approaching nearer by degrees. Immediately afterwards, a specter would appear in the form of an old man of extremely emaciated and squalid appearance, with a long beard and disheveled hair rattling the chains on his feet and hands. Okay, cut the background music because I'm going to speed through the rest of this because Pliny's version goes on for a while. Yikes, (laughs) Pliny. People got work in the morning. Here we go. House is uh, uninhabited for a long time. A philosopher, here's the last name, named Athenodorus, Shows up. Athy hears the story, but loves the low price, says F it, and moves in. After a while, that aforementioned ghost shows up again, and Athy follows it into the courtyard, where all of a sudden it disappears. Athenodorus marks the spot, has magistrates dig on the site the next morning, and there, buried under the earth, they found an unidentified man, way, way dead and desiccated, wrapped in chains. They exhumed his body, gave it a proper burial, and guess what? The ghost was never seen again. Wow. Pete, I told you that tale because <laughs> written at 100 AD, that is one of the first traditional ghost stories we have in written history. A lot of times before, ghosts were used in certain kind of stories, but always as a parable uh, or to teach some sort of a lesson. Uh, but this was just, I mean, a straight up knockdown. How many times have you heard ghost stories about ghosts in chains and with unfinished business, right? Yeah, right. And in the in, in 100 AD, I they were like wrapping people in chains. Yeah, apparently <laughs> they were writing letters. I'm surprised they weren't all just screaming, what's that ball of light in the sky? Anyways, that brings us to a listener submission. About chains? Not about chains. This listener submission is another harrowing tale in its brevity. <laughs> Here it is. Hey, guys, is anyone scared of plain old ghosts anymore? I'm not, unless it's night and it's dark. 
and I'm alone. Keep it up. Signed, Other Tom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fair enough. That is it in its entirety. Fair enough. Other. <laughs> First, can we wait? Oh, Other yeah. Tom? Oh, I would like to get to that. First and foremost, okay. I wasn't initially sure I cared for someone going around calling himself Other Tom because I assume that has how he introduces himself around town. <laughs> Once the podcast came up, he said, well, it was a good run. Now I'm Other Tom. Uh <laughs> But now I've embraced it, and we are a team. And this week, both of us Toms present to you and the podcast listeners, Phasmophobia, the fear of ghosts. Oh, very excited about this, Tom. Tom Prime. All right. So before we share our personal takes, I wanted to check in and deliver some news on where America currently stands in their belief of ghosts. Uh, There's a lot of different studies. The one that I liked the most was in 2017, Chapman University, which is very reputable, released a study called, quote, Survey of American Fears Wave 4. That name alone is weirdly terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Wave 4, I don't like it. Anyway. No, believe me, that comes with an army of ships. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. It's wave five where they that's where they really get you. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's about what seemingly rational Americans are afraid of. It is not the number one. I can tell you the number one later if you want. But number two, right below it, is fifty two percent of Americans currently agree that places can be haunted by spirits, and that is a lot higher than I thought it would be. What do you think? Oh, I did not see that coming. Yeah. And you're telling me that with 52% of the vote, that that's not number one? No. Do you want to know what number one it was really quick? Yes. Above that, with 55% agreeing that it's true, is the belief that ancient advanced civilizations, such as Atlantis, once existed here on Earth. And that's where some of our early man got some of the ability to do some of their technology or uh, archaeology ideas revolving around that. So it's Atlantis with number one, but number two with the bullet. Ghosts are a real thing. This this tells me a lot. About America? About, about everything <laughs> yeah. that I didn't didn't know but feared. Also, uh, I, I wonder what percentage of America believes the upcoming DC film Aquaman is a documentary. <laughs> please, please go on. Tell me more about the ghosts. Well, I wanted to ask you, do you believe in ghosts or would you rather me answer first? I will tell you. I am. I will tell you. But I always feel like when I answer this, that I am just begging for someone to punk me. So please don't punk me when I tell you I generally don't believe in ghosts. I believe that uh, we use ghosts as a way to uh, somehow explain or rationalize that which we have not solved yet, Uh, whether it's squeaky houses and doors opening and closing on their own. I, I I believe we ascribe to them ghosts just because we haven't found the actual problem. And you said, don't punk you? Hmm. <laughs> well, Pete, uh, here's my take on it. Uh, I 100% agree. <laughs> I, d- <laughs> I don't personally believe in ghosts, but I would really like to. Yeah, that's interesting. Like a creep, when I was younger, I would walk through graveyards at night just to see if anything would happen. I've been to a seance. I've had my fortune told. The gambit of anything but, you know, anything dark arts related. I'm very much uh, interested and fascinated into any look into the afterlife. As you remember, I discussed uh, I'm still afraid of the possibility of hell on an earlier episode. 
Yeah. Um, that being said, I agree with you. I personally believe, while not looking down on people that believe in ghosts or believe that they've had an experience with the paranormal, I also agree that it's very much a mix of what, like cognitive bias. Yeah, where we're looking for meaning and things that aren't really there to answer questions like you said that we can't answer. Again, ghosts, I would like to be proven wrong. Now, real quick, before we keep going along that line, I wanted to get one thing straight. Uh, There is 100% no official scientific evidence that ghosts exist in any any matter. I'm not saying that people who believe in ghosts are crazy people, uh, but and science is always changing in a self-correcting field. But if anyone out there has read something that makes them believe that ghosts have been proven to exist is looking at incorrect sources or maybe those sources are haunted. (laughs) There is a there is a team of a billion ghost monkeys with a billion ghost typewriters. Right. And they're just churning out. Yes. Fake ghost news. Yeah. All of these all of the ghost hunters on TV. It's funny because they're looking for the paranormal using physics because they have meters that uh, detect heat. Or detect electricity <laughs> to find things that are supposed to not base or be based in physics at all. I originally uh, wrote a breakdown about the problems with the reality of ghosts. <laughs> just like the idea of how there are certain, certain subjects, like I just brought up, to certain rules of physics and not. Uh, and why do they sometimes show up dressed in clothes or riding a carriage? Why do ghosts need an outfit or transportations? <laughs> but then I realized that that's a fool's errand because we can't apply physics to ghosts. That's like applying science to religion. Right. That's not a dig on religion necessarily. It's just saying that leaps of faith are inherently involved for both. And human science and logic can't cover all those gaps. Well, that's it. And because I'm like you, I feel like uh, I, I, while I don't personally believe in that stuff, I, my, I, I have a thing for zombies. So you know, mm. one would think uh, that I would be uh, all aboard. And as it turns out, it's uh, I have a thing for the fictional character that is zombies. Sure. Would you call zombies paranormal? I guess by definition, they life after death. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it depends if you go to the lore of the zombie or if you go to the history of the zombie kind of character and you go to Haiti and you go to the right. I mean, there there Zom- is sort of that sort of kind of voodoo history of, um, you know, and, and science that once was misunderstood, then was understood. And now we know where they came from and right. we exactly. can explain it. That yeah. doesn't mean that, you know, The Walking Dead isn't cool or yeah. at least was cool in early seasons and to open this back up i did a very informal poll of my friends and a lot of them not a lot of them but a good amount of them believe they're not comfortable calling them ghosts but believe that they have had some sort of an experience with a paranormal uh entity of sorts uh the majority of them uh have to do when they're in bed There is a potential scientific explanation involving that, Uh, but then also uh, after someone has lost someone, after they've Mm -hmm. lost someone. So to get into that, here's the transition. I think the real important topic is not trying to use this as a ghosts aren't real situation, but instead talk briefly about why do you think we believe in ghosts? Why are they so pervasive in our culture and why do we want to believe in them? And why are we anxious about it? Why does it become a source of anxiety? Well, that's the part because and I'm going to need your help on this because I was able to come up with ideas. And again, whenever I say I came up with ideas, I'm sure that they have been uh, mentioned in a ton of different places. I am not a genius. Well, 
let's going. just no, let's really. say for this, I'm not a genius. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but of course, uh, number one, ghosts can be comforting because it is proof that there is life after death. And if there's life after death, then our loved ones, as I mentioned before, can still be with us in some way. They can help us process grief. And that's why a lot of those stories that I heard uh, do come down for uh, someone, a loved one, like a grandmother, grandfather, uncle passes away. And on the eve of their passing away or a little bit later, when grief is really the hardest, uh, they're in bed and they sense something and they can see that their loved one is sitting on a chair in sort of a vaguely ghostly, foggy kind of way, and it floods them with a feeling of well-being. I get it. Hmm. There's a lot of peace to be found there. I get it, because that's the opposite of dead is gone, and there's no way that I can ever have contact with this person again. Number two, because I wanted to bring it back to Athy and the clanky old guy in my story in the beginning, the idea of, have, of ghosts having unfinished business on earth communicating with the living in order to get that business solved because that's justice after death along the lines of heaven and hell that mm -hmm. based on what we do uh, on earth and how we can affect earth uh, makes us uh, go to a good or bad place as a result. So I get all of that. And that makes sense. I can't personally believe in it. Again, I would like to, I would have loved to have felt like I heard from any of my, all of my grandparents are past past dead who am i a fourth grader all of my grand all of my grandparents live in jars now because because uh, <laughs> oh. most of them were cremated and let's be honest and uh as a result you know i've never felt again personally that they were ever watching me uh or were there uh that hasn't because that's me. the fear right because that's the fear that if you carry around a belief that they have passed into another sort of energetic state. You know, grandma's there and she's walking, watching you pick your nose and masturbating. And that's the last thing that you want to imagine. <laughs> well, A, that would never happen to me because I use the same hand for both. Number two, <laughs> that's just a logical fallacy, Pete. Uh, <laughs> uh, and number two, my body's a temple. Uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, no one really goes as far, as far as that. A lot of the ghost stories that I've heard really seem to end with a check-in. A lot of the ones that I read, and I read a ton of ghost stories because this subject is right up my alley. A lot of them don't seem to feel like they're always there and always watching very conveniently in that way, that they're just there to sort of give a tip of the hat when you need it. And then when yeah. you take when your shower goes on too long, they're like, oh, well, time to go back up and play my harp or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you got you got again to the anxiety about it. I mean, there's enough anxiety in general. The opposite of everything I said is the chance of that there is no peace. If you have unfinished business and the business can't be finished, then you're just mm -hmm. wandering around. The fact that there is a chance that you can be unhappy after death and still be suffering and there's no peace. That is the definition of horror. What other kind of thoughts do you have about why we're anxious about it? I, I think it's because we have unsettled uh, relationship 
with our own feelings of the future, that which we don't know, right? I don't, I don't know if my contributions are going to matter. I don't know if I'm going to have a settled relationship with my kids when they're adults. I don't know any of that. Oh, so not just mortality. You're saying just what happens starting tomorrow. Yeah, what happens starting tomorrow. If tomorrow is the Interesting. end. Uh, yeah, I can I can absolutely imagine a sense of I, I want to believe in ghosts because I want to believe that there is opportunity for me as a as an energetic being beyond this, you know, flesh prison. Yeah, you know what I mean? That I can I can right. somehow uh, at least witness something that I don't have to fear nothingness. And uh, I don't personally carry that. I mean, I, I believe that dead is dead. And when I am gone, I'll be food for worms. And I hope I go back into mm. the environment and become, you know, food for the universe again. And I think that is a noble endeavor in and of itself. Yet. Back to your to, mm. to your listener submission here. Uh, other Tom, yeah. I understand the feeling of fear related to the unknown. Yes, for me, it's not about um, it, it's not about ghosts. It's about and this is the same feeling I used to get as a kid sneaking through, uh, you know, graveyards. It it wasn't about the dead coming up. It was about like the Vikings and brigands that I'm sure are hiding behind the trees <laughs> and are just waiting to rob me of my gold doubloons. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, or that weird that weird seaside clown yeah. <laughs> that you talked yes. about is like get on my clown That's ship. Right. I can't remember exactly what he said. Right, we get we get out and and suddenly you're in. Clown Alley again, and that's a like mm -hmm. those are those are real kind of tangible things that you would you would fear. But I can absolutely see how um, a you know when it's dark and you're alone and you don't know what's upstairs, that belief in the paranormal becomes much more uh, mm -hmm. steady. That is a great way of uh, the lack of steadiness is another way of saying the lack of foundation. Yeah, the lack of foundations that we have built our understanding on, even if you're religious, uh, that the basis that there is a hierarchy, that there is a plan, that there is a we're at the top of the food chain and this is how it goes, can really be rocked very easily by something involving with the paranormal. And I think people sometimes there's a real push pull for that. They really want that. And then sometimes I think when you get it, there's an immediate chance for madness, uh, which is interesting. I think that's why a lot of times we enjoy horror movies. We've gone into some of this before, mm -hmm. but no, letting your mind play tricks on you, because, again, as I started with, as we both started with, at the basis of it is something that we do not understand. And so it takes whatever you need to take to try to fill in those gaps, whether it be ghosts, whether it be religion, whether it be you're having sleep paralysis and a, and a sleep hallucination or anything else that we will do whatever it takes to make our own narrative. And a lot of that can still be very, very scary. Right. Along this line of trying to find any kind of narrative, trying to make sense of the unknown, I did find a TED talk. Oh, fancy, right? All ghost stories are answered in TED Talks. I forgot. <laughs> they all are. Exactly. That's amazing. Um, did I tell you I'm getting married to a TED Talk? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Congratulations, so me. I found a TED Talk, and uh, it was given by Carrie Poppy. She is co-host of a popular podcast called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Uh, basically, it explores and demystifies spiritual, religious, and paranormal topics. But interestingly, she, on this TED Talk, talked about her own paranormal experience. 
Interesting. Yeah, she was alone in her house and suddenly she felt a presence. The feeling grew and grew, and as it did, a pressure began to build inside of her chest. And she really started to feel like she was being watched. And the pressure got worse. And as it got worse over the course of a week, she started to hear whispering sounds, sounds from different places in her house. Uh, and she would walk around, and once she went to this, it came from the other room, the other room. And she became convinced, and this is someone who writes a Ghosts Aren't Real podcast, <laughs> that her house was haunted. She didn't know what to do. She did a cleansing by burning a sage stick, probably because she saw that in some weird movie. No matter what she tried, the pressure on her chest and the auditory uh, sounds, auditory sounds, nice. They just kept getting worse and worse, and it was starting to get painful. Finally, she took to the Internet and arrived on a ghost forum for skeptics. And one of them said she had the symptoms for carbon monoxide. <laughs> Yay. Or should I say carbon <laughs> monoxide poisoning? These include A, pressure on the chest, and B, no kidding, auditory hallucinations. Wow. She called a utility worker to come out. He rectified the problem and told her, quote, if she had not gotten it fixed when she did, she wouldn't have been alive the next morning. <gasps> so the reason I bring that up is because there were two ways to look at that. A, it's haunted. B, there's something physical going on. Both were weirdly kind of right because she was about to start haunting herself <laughs> because she doesn't have one of those little <laughs> beepers that say, hey, jerk, you've got carbon monoxide in your it's house. like 20 bucks, Carrie. 20 bucks saves a life. Yeah, 20 bucks. Yeah, Come what, on. you can't afford the double A, Carrie? Let's do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so the only reason I bring that up is I think ghosts and the idea of ghosts and the feeling that we are being watched by our loved ones or even by evil forces can tell you a lot about what's going on in your head and also sometimes physically. I get that there is a lot of comfort to be had by that. And if that is your bag, I absolutely 100% go for it. But also every once in a while, uh, when you're also getting the sage stick, eh, bring in a handyman, <laughs> have him take a look around and make sure that you're not poisoning yourself, not on ghosts, but on poison. Yeah, it's ghosts or asbestos, baby. Whatever. <laughs> exactly. It's one of the two. In my research, I also found another ghost that is actually science. <laughs> It's ghost-inducing science. It's a phenomenon called infrasound. What? Have you ever heard of infrasound? What? Ooh, no. Right. This sounds this like RTMS. This is... <laughs> Everything goes back to RTMS. <laughs> infrasound is a vibration that occurs below our normal range of hearing. That's below 20 hertz. Certain machinery like engines, whales, and extreme weather. This is interesting. How many ghost stories have you heard that take place on a dark and stormy night? Oh, no. Extreme weather can all cause infrasound. Now, many studies suggest that it can result in symptoms including feelings of depression, the chills, and the sneaking suspicion that someone is watching you. <gasps> Did I get this from a crackpot website? No, because the beloved astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson <gasps> says that infrasound at 18 hertz vibrates at such a rate that the eye can pick it up, which might cause visual hallucinations. Wow. That's like that Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton movie, Twister. I bet all those tornadoes were ghosts. Exactly. They didn't need to hide under that bridge. <laughs> a, the cow was just flying around for 
fun. <laughs> and otherwise, it was just infrasound. Uh, the original Jan de Bond movie was called Infrasound. And Hollywood said, no, thank <laughs> they you. They won't get it. Let's call it Twister. Exactly. It makes total sense. Yeah. Hollywood. And this has been great. I would love to talk more on this, but my car is in the shop and I have to go call a boober. <laughs> Don't use it. I wrote that just while we were talking. Don't use that. I just wanted to say. Do you feel your age, Tom? Ugh. <laughs> Does that tell you? <laughs> that... That noise didn't actually come out of my mouth. That was just my bones made that noise. <laughs> I turned my head and it went. That <laughs> was my neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Why do you Well, ask? you know, sometimes I do. I do, obviously, at, at the doctor. That's kind of well-trod territory around here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I also feel it in the classroom, right? I, I've spent the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, something like that, teaching graduate students how to be better marketers and PR professionals yep. uh, at a yep. university. And they look at me as their teacher and I do my best to, you know, do what you do, to equip them with skills, to make their contributions more robust in their work and the wah to do da. And, and so I've, I, over the last few years, I've had this uncomfortable experience of seeing my peers, these other instructors, leave higher education and go back into the workforce for some reason or another. Uh, mm-hmm only to be met by challenges that I personally didn't see coming, that I didn't expect. They're interviewing now for jobs with, and I, I say this sometimes literally, their own prior students. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, of course that makes sense. And that sounds like a very rough situation to be in. Yeah. And, and because they're not getting hired. Right? Of course. I, Young. you know, you talk yeah. about, you talk about like, or you remember that great movie up in the air. You love that movie. I love yeah, that, that movie. handsome, yes. handsome uh, George Clooney. And Anna Kendrick, who is my girlfriend. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> this, this Clooney movie, right? I mean, the, the whole uh, sort of gestalt of this movie was that, oh my gosh, we're gonna, we're hiring younger, cheaper staff. And I, I actually find that disrespectful to young hmm. people. Uh, I, I think younger, more agile, and in some cases, more experienced staff, right? And and when I say experience, I mean, maybe more immediately relevant experience uh, absolutely is a real thing. And you could be replaced by technology, right? You could be uh, technology yeah. managed by younger, cheaper, more experienced staff, right? Or you could be just outsourced altogether, entire companies being split apart thanks to outsourcing. Uh, yeah. you know. And so all of these things become terrifying when you hit a certain place in your life. So I, I offer to you, Tom, this oh. little puzzle here. 49 years ago this year, a term was coined that not only defines a form of discrimination, but is ironically of an age to be discriminated against by its own definition. What is that term? Ageism. It is. I did it! Yeah, you did it in Ooh. one. Woo! That's great. Or should I say, booey? Right, <laughs> no, I'm done. you should not. I, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I swear, I'll stop. <laughs>
<laughs> the term ageism was coined in 1969 by Robert Neil Bootler. No, <laughs> that long ago. That's surprising. Yeah, I know that that was a surprise to me, too. He was the wow. first director of the National Institute on Aging and a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And he defined ageism as having three connected elements. Okay. Prejudicial attitudes toward older people. I old thought age, that would be it. Yeah. yeah and, and the aging process. Discrimination against older people and practices and policies that perpetuate stereotypes of older people. Okay. All those sound like the same thing. But yeah, okay. right. <laughs> he really right. could have shortened that by two, but okay. <laughs> he would have been fine. Well, and so I think it's important to look at what those stereotypes are, right? And because that's what we're that's that's what we're scared of. I'm trying to to get back around to the anxiety here, right? The thing yeah. that we're scared of is that we are yeah, yeah. perceived as something like really uh, the useless, right? That we're unable to contribute to society. That we have Antiquated. a poor memory. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, that we're slow and inactive and out analog. Of date. Yeah, yeah, analog. Ah, oh, yeah. I bet you programmed your computer with punch cards, old man. Uh, <laughs> That, that we hey, don't tell, us, tell us more stories about the soda shop, you old jerk. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, but but it does go the other way, too. And I, I think this is this is another important part that young people are too young to contribute wisdom or knowledge. They haven't experienced oh, enough. Naive. Uh, they, oh, these young people, they can't think for themselves. Oh, these young people are out of control. They'll misbehave. Yeah. Tell us right? more stories about your razor scooter, you young jerks. <laughs> Such an out. That's already such an outdated reference. I know, right? Man, I want to be ageist at you right now. I know. I know. Hey, why don't you go yeet somewhere? <laughs> Tell me more about your gluten sensitivity. Uh, so you know, we, we it's gotten even more complex as with all terms right now uh, in the hashtag era. Look, I'm ageisming myself. Right. Well, can I say really quick? When I think of ageism, I always forget that ageism also is attributed to the young. Yes. The younger, I should say. Yeah. I always forget that. I only think right now about people being aged out of jobs because they don't understand beeps and boops. Right. Uh, and yeah, that kind of stuff. So that's, because they call that's them a good thing to remember. Yeah. That's the real problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are three uh, forms of ageism. There are, I mean, several forms of ageism. There are three that are predominantly kind of recognized. And I want to, to see if you can figure out what they are. Mm. Uh, number one is adultism. And that sounds like something you might find in a specialty shop. <laughs> that sounds like a, ra a rash that I've had before. <laughs> I got a case of the adultism. It'll go away. <laughs> what is adultism? Okay, my guess would be that you are not cool enough to understand something that is current or trending because you've been aged out of it. Really? Okay, see, now this was a trick question. It's actually oh. almost exactly the opposite of that. Adultism what? is a general favoring of adults over children and teenagers, right? Over the uh, young. Oh, by other mm -hmm. adults, one would assume. Right, 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 right. Oh, okay. Right. Adultism but that's okay. Is we that... have two more chances for you to redeem yourself. Ooh, this is exciting. Uh, the next one is gerontocracy. What is a gerontocracy? <laughs> a gerontocracy, if geron is comes from geriatrics, means that there's no way to get ahead because all of the people leading the group are all old fogies <gasps> that are set in their ways. Tom, this was this was your big shot and you hit it out of the park. It is Hi! in this case, we're talking specifically about a form of leadership or government in which all leaders of the group are all significantly older than the average adult population. 
Uh, well, America doesn't know anything about that. <laughs> no, no, we've never heard anything about that. Uh, and the third is Junism. Jun. Junism. You have to say it kind of French. J-E-U-N-I-S-M. Well, Jun in French is young or child. Hmm. Mystery coming into focus. <laughs> so I would say the Junism is Junism. Oh, so if adultism was... Okay, so Jeunism is that it's something, it's almost like trying to learn a new language. These young kids have their own way of doing everything, and there's it's impenetrable to someone over a certain age. <gasps> well, if adultism was a general favoring of adults, Jeunism is a general favoring of younger people, and specifically of youthful energy or beauty over older yeah. people. This Ooh, is modern marketing and advertising, right? I mean, yes. that's what this is. That's what we're fighting here is yes. uh, everybody has a certain look and they're all young and we all regret that we're aging and we're going to capitalize that and make you spend money on jeans that are too tight, right? right. There is a, a new updated definition from uh, the good trio of Iverson, Larson, and Solemn, and they say ageism is defined as negative or positive stereotypes, prejudice and or discrimination against or to the advantage of elderly people or the basis of their chronological age or on the basis of a perception of them being old or elderly ageism can be implicit or explicit and can be expressed mm. on a micro mezzo or macro level uh, whatever it, it means we're discriminating against the old or the young and it goes both ways it goes all directions oh my gosh she was better when she her she was better younger you know she she just can't get the same parts that she used to write that sort of implicit Sure. Um, you know, ageism, it, it's rampant everywhere. And so I start thinking about where does ageism come from? And I should say now as an anxiety, because this is an anxiety show, I'm at a really weird place with this anxiety. I'm seeing it with others, right? I'm seeing it in others that are around me who are roughly my age or a little bit older than me. And they're starting to experience what I would catalog as an external observer as ageism. But it's never happened to me. It hasn't happened to me yet. And I'm trying to figure out, I think I need, I'm a little bit anxious about not yet being anxious about it, but seeing it around the corner. Does that make any <laughs> sense? Like it's a meta anxiety and I'm a little bit awash. Oh, I truck in being anxious about being anxious. <laughs> oh, dude. Anti anticipation about an anticipatory situation. That's me with a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm a mess. So, yes, I can definitely agree with that. <laughs> so there is a there, there's an interesting I, I started looking at where does this come from? Right. Where does ageism come from in us? Because it seems like it seems to me that if, in fact, ageism is both a discrimination against the elderly by the young and a discrimination by the young against the elderly. Right that maybe we should find a way to come to center on this because really we're just making it worse for each other. Right. And, you know, why can't we all just get along? Is the answer teenagers? We should just do whatever teenagers say to do. <laughs> Is that? Oh, I guess that's a, that's a little too young. Never mind. That, Go that's Jonism. You're ageist. And yeah, uh, you, you just got pwned. Yes, queen. Here's a... <laughs> So I'm starting to think, where did this come from? And it turns out here's a really interesting thing. There is a relationship between anxiety and beliefs towards aging and ageism. The Journal of Scientific Psychology. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah to the the uh, uh, Sixum uh, who wrote the paper uh, of Wisdom, Connor, Dana, Hogan, Lindsay and Callahan. Oh, I know Callahan. 
They are delightful contributors uh, to uh, this body of knowledge. And here's what they found out. They, they focused on college students' belief toward ageism and discovered that uh, using the social development theory of ageism, there is a significant relationship between subjective history of exposure to older adults and ageist belief. But subjects' current exposure to older adults is not correlated with levels of ageism. Huh? That, so college students, imagine this, this, this body of college students that were studied, they either were ageist or not, but their beliefs were not, uh, they did not have anything to do with their relationship with older people contemporaneous to the study. So let's say your average college student hangs out with a bunch of old people and uh, that's not where their ageist beliefs came from. What the study uncovered is that ageism comes and these ageist behaviors are cemented as we are very young children. Oh, no. Yeah. And so the lesson here is that we are screwed. <laughs> yeah, because what can you wait a minute? How can that be? What do you do with that? What do you learn? You learn that, uh, you know, you are witnessing how your parents are uh, behaving against older populations. You're witnessing how your community behaves against older populations. And that cements your behavior toward older populations when you are a child. And as a result, uh, you end up having these behaviors that uh, have kind of emergent behaviors around ageism as you age yourself. And I think that's really scary. Wow. And vice versa. Are you as a child seeing how older people treat younger people? Well, that the make, study that would yeah, make sense. Sure. That would make sense. But the study yeah. didn't specifically answer that. So I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do. Wow. I don't know what to do. I but, wouldn't I would not have thought that it would start when you were young. I thought that everything because <laughs> I'm still even as an old person, I'm still very young at times. I would think <laughs> that everything is just like made of rainbows and, uh, <laughs> uh, and just that like I always forget that everything is so formative when you're young like yeah. that. But yeah. that's actually really distressing. That you build up your foundation that young about, you know what, though, as I'm saying it out loud, that makes all the sense in the world. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And again, to my uh, earlier hypothesis, we are so screwed. Yeah. So here's the thing. <laughs> this, this, the other I, title for this podcast. Yeah, yeah right. We're so, so screwed. Um, yeah. So this is why I want to, I, this is how I want to wrap it up. And, and I want to ask you the question, uh, mm. what do we do? As this thing, this as we age into a group where ageism is a reality, what do you and I do, Tommy, uh, to help stave off the cold sickle of of ageism? Uh, how do you how do you how do you do that? What are you doing to uh, continue to fight off this uh, anxiety? Well, I can say for me, as has been uh, talked about a little bit on the podcast before, I do work with many ages of people. Mm -hmm. I work with people that are much older than me in corporate training. I work with people with fifth graders much younger than me. And as I've talked about, would like to think that I'm of a favored uncle status with a lot of my friends' kids. And I find each of their viewpoints equally interesting. I don't think about I don't go to kids and talk down to them and I don't look up at older people and assume that they are wiser. But I do assume that I can learn from both at the same time. 
I guess my dumb answer, which is so antiquated in itself, would be some sort of a social roundtable, making yourself available to those people and trying to meet them at their level and see what their framework is like. Because right now it is so popular to blame everything on millennials. Right. And that's so dumb because so cheap. Bi businesses should be learning as, as frustrating as dealing with the stereotypical millennial is, can be for certain business leaders. You should learn so much from them because, for instance, just to go on millennials, they're telling you what works and what doesn't. Get off your idea about participation trophies. Go on to the fact of that there's different ways to motivate employees and there's different ways to get the best out of your employees. Stop trying to make uh, your sort of rank and file, make a normal employee into a um, assembly line situation, just sort mm -hmm. of churning out work. There should always be active communication between them. Maybe that's very idealistic and maybe that's the most cliched answer ever. I'm not sure, but I would think it's just dialogue, but honest dialogue, not yeah. going in with a preset of uh, ideas that you already have. That's right, because your ideas are terrible. Let's start with that. <laughs> You mean oh. mine personally? No, <laughs> yours are great. I mean, oh, okay. general population, start out with the assumption that your own ideas are terrible. And, and I think that goes with... Because you're one person. Yes, exactly. And, so and you're a victim to everyone. Apparently, you're a victim to what you learned as a child. So now's the time <laughs> to right. learn for other things. Yeah. Well, and I think the same advice goes to kind of ingratiating yourself for any marginalized population, too, is just continue to ask questions. For me, around specifically this this concept of ageism, it's all about kind of continuing to, to contribute for myself, right? Podcasting and writing to decrease dependence on antique human resources models of contribution, you know, and that's mm -hmm. that's something for me that is that that is very present in my mind and really increase exposure to people younger than myself and older than myself with yes. the primary objective to continue to develop my skills and abilities and, and you know, to give back in kind. It, but most important, Tom, and this is, I think, something you and I could both follow, is maybe we should start dressing like Angus Young in ACDC and go for the full schoolboy uniform oh. even now as uh, middle-aged uh, corporate workers. I would really like to see us adopt something akin to that something that that really demonstrates to the world that we think as young as we act interesting so you think that cosplay is part <laughs> is part of the thing the thing that's going to bridge two generations together is for one to awkwardly <laughs> try to dress like the other yeah yeah that that should work great because i know whenever my dad and i have had an argument when i was growing up and he'd say tom i'm not trying to diss you <laughs> I immediately thought, wow, he's really talking to me on my level and we are totally connecting. You got I it. Would, you yeah. got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would also say along with that idea, don't older people don't try to use younger as we've done as ironically in this podcast. Don't try to adopt younger speech in your effort to talk to people. Talk to them like an adult. Yes, because every time we've used language incorrectly, it's been ironic. <laughs> That's, ooh, phew, do you hey, Pete, do you think they'll buy it? <laughs> because so far, this podcast is boss. <laughs> 
Today's podcast, again, is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audio book download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. I just checked with uh, Steve Audible, and they are up to over 194,000 titles to choose from for your phone, iDroid, Kindle, other words. It doesn't matter. You guys understand what technology is, Pete. I just want you all to know how close this sponsorship is to us that we have have a direct line to founder Steve Audible. Yeah, he's great. That's remarkable. And speaking of remarkable things, uh, I have the book picked today and I'm picking a book, another book that I haven't read. But the reason I haven't read it is because as of the day that we're recording this, the book was only released hours ago. It came in my (gasps) handsomely appointed Jack Ryan uh, Amazon box. Yes, they have now completely i'm gonna take a picture of it because it's the most ridiculous thing uh to see this box that is has jack ryan amazon's jack it's 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 overkill amazon give it up it has books in it that's what i want can you guess what book came in my stupid amazon jack ryan box ladies and gentlemen it is the novelization of the film the predator God, no. No. No, it's not. It is uh, it, it is a book by a guy that I have been following for a lot of years. His name is Hank Green. And this oh. is his debut novel. Uh, and it's called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. And uh, it came out just today. And it's He's the brother of what's his name? Of John Green. Who and I love. He has been a pick for a number right. of... Uh, yeah, before we picked Paper Towns. He's done, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of both of these guys. They are the Vlogbrothers. They do Crash Course. We've talked about him before. Uh, I feel like I've been watching Hank write this book. He was writing mm. the book on, the, on their bus tour across uh, America, the brothers, in their RV as they were doing the book tour for John latest book, Turtles All the Way Down, which is also a fantastic book and a terrific look at um, at OCD. This book I started reading, I'm through the first two chapters just as I was eating lunch, and it is it is, ironically, an absolutely remarkable thing. It tells a oh. wonderful story with a wonderful voice. I can't wait to just have some time to sit down and to continue to read it. So it is available on Audible. You should check it out. An absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. This He is an example for me uh, as a, a middle-aged guy. Uh, he's an example of a guy who's doing exactly the kind of stuff that I uh, want to be doing with my career to to continue to be relevant and creative and contributory. And um, it's it is I'm it's one of those things where we don't know each other. Uh, we've passed in the halls at conferences, but I am weirdly honored to have this book in my house. Like it is it oh. feels like I was part of the journey. Uh, and I think it's going to be worth reading if you're into these kinds of adventures. I should tell you about the book, though, uh, it, it, and it's it starts with a young woman who is walking through New York City in the middle of the night and a statue of a transformer appears and if what? that's not enough to get you into it the transformer she names Carl and then she becomes a crazy internet sensation and that's all I know so far you should check what? out this book an absolutely remarkable <laughs> thing oh yeah that yeah. sounds like a fever dream okay it cool. does it's it sounds exactly like that so there you go check out this book. I will definitely check that out and you guys should too. Again, What's That Smell, listeners? You can get a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. 
We don't pay to advertise this show, so we appreciate you sharing it with others you think might be interested. Put it on the Facebook or the Twitter or a machine or the Instagram machine, whatever you want. That we <laughs> we don't discriminate uh, around here. I think this show is evidence that we don't discriminate about unless you're really old <laughs> or really young. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a real sweet yeah. spot for this yeah. podcast. <laughs> Anyhow, we sure appreciate you uh, spreading the word and uh, spreading those uh, kind reviews. Uh, you're you're good people, and you're you're good looking, and you contribute. And uh, we want you to keep contributing. Yes, what he said. Coming up next week, and it sounded magical. And of course, back on Earth, all the men are like, and like knocking things <laughs> over with their penises, and it's so it's like the worst. The laughing that I do is really the laughing that's all around, like not crying. <laughs> So we're back to clowns. <laughs> yeah. Again, we've got our painted on smiles and inside we're all burning alive. Oh, I would give anything for just you to play the ending song. And like, that's, that's it. You play the ending song. We never do another episode. It's just take off your pants. And then that's Show's it. over. Okay, yeah. good. This week's tune is Love is Love by Love Chronicles. Thank you all for listening. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Mess III. We'll be back next week. Or will we? On What's That Smell? <laughs> <laughs>